Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash Support for more information. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Tonight I read The Fairy Tale The Wild Swans by Hans Christian Andersen. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Far away, in the land to which the swallows fly when it is winter, dwelt a king who had eleven sons and one daughter named Eliza. The eleven brothers were princes, and each went to school with a star on his breast and a sword by his side. They wrote with diamond pencils and golden slates, and learned their lessons so quickly 
and read so easily that everyone knew they were princes. Their sister Eliza sat on a little stool of plate glass and had a book full of pictures which had cost as much as half a kingdom. Happy indeed were these children, but they were not long to remain so, for their father the king married a queen who did not love children and who proved to be a wicked sorceress. The queen began to show her unkindness the very first day. While the great festivities were taking place in the palace, the children played at receiving company. But the queen, instead of sending them the cakes and apples that were left from the feast, as was customary, gave them some sand in a teacup and told them to pretend it was something good. The next week, she sent the little Eliza into the country to a peasant and his wife. Then she told the king so many untrue things about the young princes that he gave himself no more trouble about them. Go out into the world and look after yourselves, said the queen. Fly like great birds without a voice. But she could not make it so bad for them as she would have liked, for they were turned into eleven beautiful wild swans. With a strange cry, they flew through the windows of the palace over the park to the forest beyond. It was yet early morning when they passed the peasant's cottage where their sister lay asleep in her room. They hovered over the roof, twisting their long necks and flapping their wings. But no one heard them or saw them, so they at last flew away, high up in the clouds, and over the wide world they sped, till they came to a thick, dark wood which stretched far away to the seashore. Poor little Eliza was alone in the peasant's room, playing with a green leaf, for she had no other playthings. She pierced a hole in the leaf, and when she looked through it at the sun, she seemed to see her brother's clear eyes, and when the warm sun shone on her cheeks, she thought of all the kisses they had given her. One day passed, just like another. Sometimes the winds rustled through the leaves of the rosebush and whispered to the roses, who can be more beautiful than you? And the roses would shake their heads and say, Eliza is. And when the old woman sat at the cottage door on Sunday and read her hymn book, the wind would flutter the leaves and say to the book, Who can be more pious than you? And then the hymn book would answer, Eliza. And the roses and the hymn book told the truth. When she was fifteen, she returned home. But because she was so beautiful, the witch queen became full of spite and hatred towards her. Willingly would she have turned her into a swan like her brothers, but she did not dare to do so for the fear of the king. Early one morning, the queen went into the bathroom. It was built of marble and had soft cushions trimmed with the most beautiful tapestry. She took three toads with her and kissed them, saying to the first, When Eliza comes to bathe, Seat yourself upon her head, that she may become as stupid as you are. Then to the second toad she said, Place yourself on her forehead, that she may become as ugly as you are, and that her friends may not know her. Rest on her heart, she whispered to the third. Then she will have evil inclinations and suffer because of them. So she put the toads into the clear water, which at once turned green. She next called Eliza and helped her undress and get into the bath. As Eliza dipped her head under the water, one of the toads sat on her hair, a second on her forehead, 
and a third on her breast. But she did not seem to notice them. And when she rose from the water, there were three red poppies floating upon it. Had not the creatures been venomous, or had they not been kissed by the witch, they would have become red roses. At all events, they became flowers because they had rested on Eliza's head and on her heart. She was too good and too innocent for sorcery to have any power over her. When the wicked queen saw this, she rubbed Eliza's face with walnut juice so that she was scarred. Then she tangled her beautiful hair and smeared it with disgusting ointment until it was quite impossible to recognize her. The king was shocked and declared that she was not his daughter. No one but the watchdog and the swallows knew her, and they were only poor animals and could say nothing. Then poor Eliza wept and thought of her eleven brothers who were far away. Sorrowfully she stole from the palace and walked the whole day over fields and moors till she came to the great forest. She knew not in what direction to go, but she was so unhappy and longed so for her brothers, who like herself had been driven out into the world, that she was determined to seek them. She had been in the wood only a short time when night came on, and she quite lost the path, so she laid herself down on the soft moss, offered up her evening prayer, and leaned her head against the stump of a tree. All nature was silent, and the soft, mild air fanned her forehead. The light of hundreds of glowworms shone amidst the grass and the moss like green fire, and if she touched a twig with her hand, ever so lightly, the brilliant insects fell down around her like shooting stars. All night long she dreamed of her brothers. She thought they were all children again, playing together. She saw them writing with their diamond pencils on golden slates while she looked at the beautiful picture book which had cost half a kingdom. They were not writing lines and letters as they used to, but descriptions of the noble deeds they had performed and of all that they had discovered and seen. In the picture book, too, everything was living. The birds sang, and the people came out of the book and spoke to Eliza and her brothers. But as the leaves were turned over, they darted back into their places that all might be in order. When she awoke, the sun was high in the heavens. She could not see it, for the lofty trees spread their branches thickly overhead, but its gleams here and there shone through the leaves like a gauzy golden mist. There was a sweet fragrance from the fresh verdure, and the birds came near and almost perched on her shoulders. She heard water rippling from a number of springs, all flowing into a lake with golden sands. Bushes grew thickly around the lake, and at one spot, where an opening had been made by a dare, Eliza went down to the water. The lake was so clear that had not the wind rustled the branches of the trees and the bushes so that they moved, they would have seemed painted in the depths of the lake, for every leaf, whether in the shade or in the sunshine, was reflected in the water. When Eliza saw her own face, she was quite terrified at finding it so scarred, but after she wet her hand a little and rubbed her eyes and forehead, her skin gleamed forth once more, and when she had undressed and dipped herself in the fresh water, a more beautiful king's daughter could not have been found anywhere in the wide world. As soon as she had dressed herself again and braided her long hair, 
she went to the bubbling spring and drank some water out of the hollow of her hand. Then she wandered far into the forest, not knowing whither she went. She thought of her brothers and of her father and mother, and felt sure that God would not forsaken her. It is God who makes the wild apples grow in the wood to satisfy the hungry. And he now showed her one of these trees which was so loaded with fruit that the boughs bent beneath the weight. Here she ate her noonday meal and then, placing props under the boughs, she went into the gloomiest depths of the forest. It was so still that she could hear the sound of her own footsteps as well as the rustling of every withered leaf which she crushed under her feet. Not a bird was to be seen. Not a sunbeam could penetrate the large dark boughs of the trees. The lofty trunks stood so close together that when she looked before her, it seemed as if she were enclosed within trellis work. Here was such solitude as she had never known before. The night was very dark. Not a glowworm was glittering in the moss. Sorrowfully, Eliza laid herself down to sleep. After a while, it seemed to her as if the branches of the trees parted over her head, and the mild eyes of angels looked down upon her from heaven. In the morning, when she awoke, she knew not whether this had really been so, or whether she had dreamed it. She continued her wondering, but she had not gone far, when she met an old woman who had berries in her basket, and who gave her a few to eat. Eliza asked her if she had not seen eleven princes riding through the forest. No, replied the old woman, but I saw yesterday eleven swans with gold crowns on their heads, swimming in the river close by. Then she led Eliza a little distance to a sloping bank, at the foot of which ran a little river. The trees on its bank stretched their long leafy branches across the water toward each other, and where they did not meet naturally, The roots had torn themselves away from the ground so that branches might mingle their foliage as they hung over the water. Eliza bade the old woman farewell and walked by the flowing river till she reached the shore of the open sea. And there, before her eyes, lay the glorious ocean, but not a sail appeared on its surface, not even a boat could be seen. How was she to go further? She noticed how the countless pebbles on the shore had been smoothed and rounded by the action of the water. Glass, iron, stones, everything that lay there mingled together had been shaped by the same power until they were as smooth as her own delicate hand. The water rolls on without weariness, she said. Till all that is hard becomes smooth, so will I be unwearied in my task. Thanks for your lesson, bright rolling waves. My heart tells me you will one day lead me to my dear brothers. On the foam-covered seaweeds lay eleven white swan feathers which she gathered and carried with her. Drops of water lay upon them, whether they were dewdrops or tears, no one could say. It was lonely on the seashore, but she did not know it, for the ever-moving sea showed more changes in a few hours than the most varying lake could produce in a whole year. When a black, heavy cloud arose, it was as if the sea said, I can look dark and angry too. And then the wind blew, and the waves turned to white foam as they rolled. When the wind slept, and the clouds glowed with a red sunset, the sea looked like a rose leaf. Sometimes it became green, and sometimes white, 
But however quietly it lay, the waves were always restless of the shore and rose and fell like the breast of a sleeping child. When the sun was about to set, Eliza saw eleven white swans with gold crowns on their heads, flying toward the land, one behind the other like a long white ribbon. She went down the slope from the shore and hid herself behind the bushes. The swans alighted quite close to her, flapping their great white wings. As soon as the sun had disappeared under the water, the feathers of the swans fell off, and eleven beautiful princes, Eliza's brothers, stood near her. She uttered a loud cry, for although they were very much changed, she knew them immediately. She sprang into their arms and called them, each by name. Very happy the princes were to see their little sister again. They knew her, although she had grown so tall and beautiful. They laughed and wept and told each other how cruelly they had been treated by their stepmother. We brothers, said the eldest, fly about as wild swans while the sun is in the sky. But as soon as it sinks behind the hills, we recover our human shape. Therefore, we must always be near a resting place before sunset. For if we were flying toward the clouds when we recovered our human form, we would sink deep into the sea. We do not dwell here, but in a land just as fair that lies far across the ocean. The way is long, and there is no island upon which we can pass the night. Nothing but a little rock rising out of the sea, upon which, even crowded together, we can scarcely stand with safety. If the sea is rough, the foam dashes over us, yet we thank God for this rock. We have passed whole nights upon it, or we should never have reached our beloved fatherland, for our flight across the sea occupies two of the longest days in the year. We have permission to visit our home once every year and to remain eleven days. Then we fly across the forest to look once more at the palace where our father dwells and where we were born and at the church beneath whose shade our mother lies buried. The very trees and bushes here seem related to us. The wild horses leap over the plains as we have seen them in our childhood. The charcoal burners sing the old songs to which we have danced as children. This is our land, to which we are drawn by loving ties, and here we have found you, our dear little sister. Two days longer we can remain here, and then we must fly away to a beautiful land which is not our home. How can we take you with us? We have neither ship nor boat. How can I break this spell? asked the sister. And they talked about it nearly the whole night, slumbering only a few hours. Eliza was awakened by the rustling of the wings of swans, soaring above her. Her brothers were again changed. They flew in circles wider and wider till they were far away. But one of them, the youngest, remained behind and laid his head in his sister's lap while she stroked his wings. They remained together the whole day. Towards evening the rest came back, and as the sun went down they resumed their natural forms. Tomorrow, said one, we shall fly away, not to return again till a whole year has passed. But we cannot leave you here. Have you courage to go with us? My arm is strong enough to carry you through the wood, and will not all our wings be strong enough to bear you over the sea? Yes, take me with you, said Eliza. They spent the whole night in weaving a large, strong net of the pliant willow and rushes. On this, Eliza laid herself down to sleep, 
And when the sun rose and her brothers again became swans, they took up the net with their beaks and flew up to the clouds with their dear sister who still slept. When the sunbeams fell on her face, one of the swans soared over her head so that his broad wings might shade her. They were far from the land when Eliza woke. She thought she must still be dreaming. It seemed so strange to feel herself being carried high in the air over the sea. By her side lay a branch full of beautiful ripe berries and a bundle of sweet-tasting roots. The youngest of her brothers had gathered them and placed them there. She smiled her thanks to him. She knew it was the same one that was hovering over her to shade her with his wings. They were now so high that a large ship beneath them looked like a white seagull skimming the waves. A great cloud floating behind them appeared like a vast mountain, and upon it Eliza saw her own shadow and those of the eleven swans like gigantic flying things. Altogether, it formed a more beautiful picture than she had ever before seen. But as the sun rose higher and the clouds were left behind, the picture vanished. Onward the whole day they flew through the air, like winged arrows, yet more slowly than usual, for they had their sister to carry. The weather grew threatening, and Eliza watched the sinking sun with great anxiety, for the little rock in the ocean was not yet in sight. It seemed to her as if the swans were exerting themselves to the utmost. Alas, she was the cause of their not advancing more quickly. When the sun set, they would change to men, fall into the sea, and be drowned. Then she offered a prayer from her inmost heart, but still no rock appeared. Dark clouds came nearer, the gusts of wind told of the coming storm, while from a thick, heavy mass of clouds, the lightning burst forth, flash after flash. The sun had reached the edge of the sea, when the swans darted down so swiftly that Eliza's heart trembled. She believed they were falling, but they again soared onward. Presently, and by this time the sun was half hidden by the waves, she caught sight of the rock just below them. It did not look larger than a seal's head thrust out of the water. The sun sank so rapidly that at the moment their feet touched the rock, it shone only like a star, and at last disappeared like the dying spark in a piece of burnt paper. Her brothers stood close around her with arms linked together, for there was not the smallest space to spare. The sea dashed against the rock and covered them with spray. The heavens were lighted up with continual flashes, and thunder rolled from the clouds. But the sister and brothers stood holding each other's hands and singing songs. In the early dawn, the air became calm and still, and at sunrise the swans flew away from the rock bearing their sister with them. The sea was still rough, and from their great height, the white foam and the dark green waves looked like millions of swans swimming on the water. As the sun rose higher, Eliza saw before her, floating in the air, a range of mountains with shining masses of ice on their summits. In the centre rose a castle that seemed a mile long, with rows of columns rising one above another, while around it palm trees waved and flowers as large as mill wheels bloomed. She asked if this was the land to which they were hastening. The swans shook their heads, for what she beheld were the beautiful, ever-changing cloud palaces of the Fata Morgana, into which no mortal can enter. Eliza was still gazing at the scene, 
when mountains, forests, and castles melted away, and twenty stately churches rose in their stead, with high towers and pointed Gothic windows. She even fancied she could hear the tones of the organ, but it was the music of the murmuring sea. As they drew nearer to the churches, these too were changed and became a fleet of ships, which seemed to be sailing beneath her. But when she looked again, she saw only a sea mist gliding over the ocean. One scene melted into another, until at last she saw the real land to which they were bound, with its blue mountains, its cedar forests, and its cities and palaces. Long before the sun went down, she was sitting on a rock in front of a large cave, the floor of which was overgrown with delicate green, creeping plants like an embroidered carpet. Now we shall expect to hear what you dream of tonight, said the youngest brother, as he showed his sister her bedroom. Heaven grant that I may dream how to release you, she replied. And this thought took such hold upon her mind that she prayed for help, and even in her sleep she continued to pray. Then it seemed to her that she was flying high in the air toward the cloudy palace of the Fata Morgana, and that a fairy came out to meet her, radiant and beautiful, yet much like the old woman who had given her berries in the wood, and who had told her of the swans with golden crowns on their heads. Your brothers can be released, said she, if you only have courage and perseverance. Water is softer than your own delicate hands, and yet it polishes and shapes stones. But it feels no pain, such as your fingers will feel. It has no soul, and cannot suffer such agony and torment as you will have to endure. Do you see the stinging nettle which I hold in my hand? Quantities of the same sort grow round the cave in which you sleep, but only these, and those that grow on the graves of a churchyard, will be of any use to you. These must you gather, even while they burn blisters on your hands. Break them to pieces with your hands and feet, and they will become flax, from which you must spin and weave eleven coats with long sleeves. If these are then thrown over the eleven swans, the spell will be broken. But remember well that from the moment you commence your task until it is finished, even though it occupy years of your life, you must not speak. The first word you utter will pierce the hearts of your brothers like a deadly dagger. Their lives hang upon your tongue. Remember all that I have told you. And as she finished speaking, she touched Eliza's hand lightly with a nettle, and a pain as of burning fire awoke her. It was broad daylight, and near her lay a nettle like the one she had seen in her dream. She fell on her knees and offered thanks to God. Then she went forth from the cave to begin work with her delicate hands. She groped in amongst the ugly nettles, which burned great blisters in her hands and arms, but she determined to bear the pain gladly if she could only release her dear brothers. So she bruised the nettles with her bare feet and spun the flax. At sunset, her brothers returned and were much frightened when she did not speak. They believed her to be under the spell of some new sorcery, but when they saw her hands, they understood what she was doing in their behalf. The youngest brother wept, and where his tears touched her, the pain ceased, and the burning blisters vanished. Eliza kept to her work all night, for she could not rest till she had released her brothers. 
During the whole of the following day, while her brothers were absent, she sat in solitude. But never before had the time flown so quickly. One coat was already finished, and she had begun the second, when she heard a huntsman horn and was struck with fear. As the sound came nearer and nearer, she also heard dogs barking and fled with terror into the cave. She hastily bound together the nettles she had gathered and sat upon them. In a moment there came bounding toward her, out of the ravine, a great dog, and then another, and then another. They ran back and forth, barking furiously, until in a few minutes all the huntsmen stood before the cave. The handsomest of them was the king of the country, who when he saw the beautiful maiden advanced toward her, saying, How did you come here, my sweet child? Eliza shook her head. She dared not speak, for it would cost her brothers their deliverance and their lives. And she hid her hands under her apron, so that the king might not see how she was suffering. Come with me, he said. Here you cannot remain. If you are as good as you are beautiful, I will dress you in silk and velvet, and I will place a crown on your head, and you shall rule and make your home in my richest castle. Then he lifted her onto his horse. She wept and wrung her hands, but the king said, I wish only your happiness. A time will come when you will thank me for this. He galloped away over the mountains, holding her before him on his horse, and the hunters followed behind them. As the sun went down, they approached a fair royal city with churches and cupolas. On arriving at the castle, the king led her into marble halls where large fountains played and where the walls and the ceilings were covered with rich paintings. But she had no eyes for all these glorious sights. She could only mourn and weep. Patiently, she allowed the women to array her in royal robes, to weave pearls in her hair, and to draw soft gloves over her blistered fingers. As she stood arrayed in her rich dress, she looked so dazzlingly beautiful that the court bowed low in her presence. Then the king declared his intention of making her his bride. But the archbishop shook his head and whispered that the fair young maiden was only a witch who had blinded the king's eyes and ensnared his heart. The king would not listen to him, however, and ordered the music to sound, the daintiest dishes to be served, and the loveliest maidens to dance before them. Afterwards, he led her through fragrant gardens and lofty halls, but not a smile appeared on her lips or sparkled in her eyes. She looked the very picture of grief. Then the king opened the door of a little chamber in which she was to sleep. It was adorned with rich green tapestry and resembled the cave in which he had found her. On the floor lay the bundle of flax which she had spun from the nettles, and under the ceiling hung the coat she had made. These things had been brought away from the cave as curiosities by one of the huntsmen. Here you can dream yourself back again in the old home in the cave, said the king. Here is the work with which you employed yourself. It will amuse you now, in the midst of all this splendor, to think of that time. When Eliza saw all these things, which lay so near her heart, a smile played around her mouth, and the crimson blood rushed to her cheeks. The thought of her brothers and their release made her so joyful that she kissed the king's hand. Then he pressed her to his heart. Very soon the joyous church bells announced the marriage feast, 
The beautiful dumb girl of the woods was to be made queen of the country. A single word would cost her brothers their lives. But she loved the kind, handsome king who did everything to make her happy, more and more each day. She loved him with her whole heart, and her eyes beamed with a love she dared not speak. Or she could only confide in him and tell him of her grief. But dumb she must remain till her task was finished. Therefore, at night, she crept away into her little chamber, which had been decked out to look like the cave, and quickly wove one coat after another. But when she began the seventh, she found she had no more flax. She knew that the nettles she wanted to use grew in the churchyard, and that she must pluck them herself. How should she get out there? Oh, what is the pain in my fingers to the torment which my heart endures, thought she. I must venture. I shall not be denied help from heaven. Then, with a trembling heart, as if she were about to perform a wicked deed, Eliza crept into the garden in the broad moonlight and passed through the narrow walks and the deserted streets till she reached the churchyard. She prayed silently, gathered the burning nettles, and carried them home with her to the castle. Only one person had seen her, and that was the archbishop. He was awake while others slept. Now he felt sure that his suspicions were correct. All was not right with the queen. She was a witch, and had bewitched the king and all the people. Secretly, he told the king what he had seen and what he feared. And as the hard words came from his tongue, the carved images of the saints shook their heads as if they would say, It is not so. Eliza is innocent. But the archbishop interpreted it in another way. He believed that they witnessed against her and were shaking their heads at her wickedness. Two tears rolled down the king's cheeks. He went home with doubt in his heart and at night pretended to sleep. But no real sleep came to his eyes, for every night he saw Eliza get up and disappear from her chamber. Day by day his brow became darker, and Eliza saw it, and although she did not understand the reason, it alarmed her and made her heart tremble for her brothers. Her hot tears glittered like pearls on the regal velvet and diamonds, while all who saw her were wishing they could be queen. In the meantime, she had almost finished her task. Only one of her brother's coats was wanting, but she had no flax left, and not a single nettle. Once more only, and for the last time, she must venture to the churchyard and pluck a few handfuls. She went, and the king and the archbishop followed her. The king turned away his head and said, The people must condemn her. Quickly, she was condemned to suffer death by fire. Away from the gorgeous regal hall, she was led to a dark, dreary cell, where the wind whistled through the iron bars. Instead of the velvet and silk dresses, they gave her the ten coats which she had woven to cover her, and the bundle of nettles for a pillow. But they could have given her nothing that would have pleased her more. She continued her task with joy and prayed for help, while the street boys sang jeering songs about her, and not a soul comforted her with a kind word. Toward evening, she heard at the grating the flutter of a swan's wing. It was her youngest brother. He had found his sister, and she sobbed for joy although she knew that probably this was the last night she had to live. Still, she had hope, for her task was almost finished and her brothers were come. 
Then the archbishop arrived to be with her during her last hours as he had promised to the king. She shook her head and begged him, by looks and gestures, not to stay, for in this night she knew she must finish her task. Otherwise all her pain and tears and sleepless nights would have been suffered in vain. The archbishop withdrew, uttering bitter words against her, but she knew that she was innocent and diligently continued her work. Little mice ran about the floor, dragging the nettles to her feet to help as much as they could, and a thrush, sitting outside the grating of the window, sang to her the whole night long, as sweetly as possible, to keep up her spirits. It was still twilight, and at least an hour before sunrise, when the eleven brothers stood at the castle gate and demanded to be brought before the king. They were told it could not be. It was yet night. The king slept and could not be disturbed. They threatened, they entreated, until the guard appeared, and even the king himself inquiring what all the noise meant. At this moment the sun rose and the eleven brothers were seen no more, but eleven wild swans flew away over the castle. Now all the people came streaming forth from the gates to see the witch burned. An old horse drew the cart on which she sat. They addressed her in a garment of coarse sack cloth. Her lovely hair hung loose on her shoulders, her cheeks were deadly pale, her lips moved silently, while her fingers still worked at the green flax. Even on the way to death, she would not give up her task. The ten finished coats lay at her feet. She was working hard at the eleventh, while the mob jeered her and said, See the witch, how she mutters. She has no hymn book in her hand. She sits there with her ugly sorcery. Let us tear her into a thousand pieces. They pressed toward her, and doubtless would have destroyed the coats had not, at that moment, eleven wild swans flown over her and alighted on the cart. They flapped their large wings, and the crowd drew back in alarm. It is a sign from heaven that she is innocent, whispered many of them, but they did not venture to say it aloud. As the executioner seized her by the hand to lift her out of the cart, she hastily threw the eleven coats over the eleven swans, and they immediately became eleven handsome princes. But the youngest had a swan's wing instead of an arm, for she had not been able to finish the last sleeve of the coat. Now I may speak, she exclaimed. I am innocent. Then the people, who saw what had happened, bowed to her as before a saint. But she sank unconscious in her brother's arms, overcome with suspense, anguish, and pain. Yes, she is innocent, said the eldest brother, and related all that had taken place. While he spoke, there rose in the air a fragrant as from a million of roses. Every piece of stick in the pile made to burn her had taken root and threw out branches until the whole appeared like a thick hedge, large and high, covered with roses, while above all bloomed a white shining flower that glittered like a star. This flower the king plucked, and when he placed it in Eliza's bosom, she awoke from her swoon with peace and happiness in her heart. Then all the church bells rang of themselves, and the birds came in great flocks and a marriage procession, such as no king had ever seen before, returned to the castle. Good night. <laughs>